Welcome. I'm Don Harris. This is Red Letter Edition Weekdays. After the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. Let's explore the Red Letter Doctrines. What did Jesus say? Good day, my friend. You never heard anything like this before. I am debtor, both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise, so much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you. For it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Hello, I'm Don Harris, and we're going to have some fun today. It's always fun for me. I hope it's fun for you. No, I don't like being under conviction. No, I don't like find, <laughs> finding out what's wrong with me. But um, I'll tell you, there's just nothing sweeter, nothing sweeter in the world than having your dad spank you. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You know, uh, the Bible teaches us that uh, we should look at the chastening of the Lord in a joyous attitude. Did you know it says that? It teaches us that if you if you haven't been chastised of the Lord, you've got a little social problem. <laughs> well, it uses a word that uh, today is a cuss word, but back then it wasn't. Um, it was it was a serious accusation, and it was a horrible epithet. It was a it was a terrible label to have to wear, but it wasn't a cuss word. Anyway, uh, what you are in the newer Bibles that are, uh, you know, um, what I say, woman-filtered, <laughs> they say you are illegitimate. Um, and nobody wants to be an illegitimate child, do they? <laughs> No, surely to goodness there's not anybody out there that says, oh, oh I, I, I'll be illegitimate if you want. <laughs> no, no, nobody wants that. So why is it you despise the chastening of the Lord? Because uh, that's what daddies do. Some of you daddies out there that don't do that ought to be ashamed of yourself. You have a responsibility to those kids. You know, the Lord puts children into the hands of people who are supposed to be, by that time in their life, somewhat mature, somewhat uh, on their way. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, I have this list of things that I would do to, to fix the world. And uh, I also have this list of things that God should have consulted me on. <laughs> I say tongue-in-cheek. I think his wisdom is, <laughs> is far surpasses mine. Um, the Bible says that uh, God's foolishness is wiser than the wisdom of men. So uh, I'm not uh, I'm not saying anything here that uh, that I would uh, stand up and swear to in court. But um, I just never understood why he attached puberty to chronological age. What was he thinking? 
<laughs> I don't know how smart that was. He should have attached uh, puberty to IQ. And uh, wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be an odd world we live in if he had done that? You got to reach a certain intelligence level or you just you just never reach puberty. Wouldn't that be? I mean, to me, that would just be a nice deal. Uh, we could have a lot more intelligent children and we'd have a lot fewer of them. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that would really be something. You'd see a couple over there and say, oh, they don't have any kids. No, she never reached 130 IQ. Oh, I see. <laughs> uh, anyway, what we do is, is we bring children into the world and we're not prepared to raise them. Um, and in society, now these are some things we can do something about. In society, we allow children to make the major decisions in their lives when they're totally unprepared to do so. Isn't that something? We let them choose a lifelong mate sometime around the age of 18. That's what, that's what society teaches us. If you're 18 years old, while well, you're an adult. Do you know where that came from, by the way? Just parenthetically, let me add. Do you know that the 18-year-old idea came out of the Vietnam War? Because um, there was a big concern um, that uh, we were taking children over here, and that's what they are, children, and we were shipping them over to Vietnam to uh, kill people and risk being killed, but those guys couldn't come back to the United States after their two-year tour of duty and order a beer in a bar because they weren't an adult. Well, how are we going to fix that? Let's see. Uh, maybe we could draft some congressmen's kids? Yeah, that's the idea. Sure, that's the ticket. No, that didn't happen. <laughs> what did we do? We made 18 years old adults. That's where that came from. Do you know how that's, that's how recent that is? Before then, 21 was the age of an adult. Now, you might be surprised to find out that the 21 number actually comes from the Bible. Did you know, uh, uh, you know, people say, uh, if you've passed the age of accountability... You're going to hell when you die if you don't accept Jesus. You've heard that, right? And so they say the age of accountability, age of accountability, age of account. Well, what is that? Well, we don't know. <laughs> You've heard that, haven't you? We don't know what that is. It could be six years old. That's why we need to get these little toddlers saved. You idiot. Those toddlers are saved. You need to become like them, not them become like you. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, that, it com that 21 thing comes from the Bible. Um, I, you know, I, can't, I can't say that that was the decision maker, but it matches. Do you remember when the children of Israel were um, rebelling against God and they weren't doing the right thing and they weren't? They weren't obeying his laws, and he said, 20 years old and upward get to go into the land. Everybody 21 years old and older than 21 years 
I'm sorry, 21 years and upward all die. And 21 years and downward, or 20 years and downward, get to go into the promised land. Well, why would they get to go? Because they haven't reached the age of accountability. So somebody asked me, what do you, what do you think the age of accountability is? After I scold them for using a silly term like that, that comes straight out of seminaries, um, I, I, I tell them, well, if you have to pin it down, I'd say it's 20 years old. That's what God said. So 20 years old is, um, is what God considers to be a, a, an age of responsibility for thinking. Until 20 years old, uh, how could a person make decisions in their life, make quality decisions in their life? There are parents who let their children choose what college they're going to go to, choose what high school nowadays they go to, choose a mate, choose a date. Um, They let their children make all these decisions in their lives. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Um, You couldn't be more wrong as a parent to let children make these decisions. In the time that they're supposed to be chastised and corrected and directed in life, you're going to let them make decisions like that? What the heck are you thinking? That's not being a parent. That's being a caretaker. That's being a cook and bottle washer or, uh, you know, somebody who buys their shoes for them. I'll tell you, we got this thing really, really backwards. You want proof that what I'm telling you is right? (laughs) Turn on the TV. (laughs) That's all you need to do. How many of you out there own a television? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Who, who could raise their hand proudly at that question? Who could do that? Only people who are absolutely, who have no understanding about the kingdom of God. You have one of those things in your house and you have children in your house, you're out of your mind. You see, parenting is gone. And because we don't understand parenting, you, you've decided to raise your kids the way you were raised, why would you do that? Well, you think you turned out pretty good. <laughs> it's not smart. Not smart at all. But because we don't understand parenting, we don't understand chastising on the part of God himself. Yeah, the Bible says, chastisement is grievous for the moment. It's Sure, it's grievous for the moment. But... Um, it shows something that all of us really need to know. And that is that God loves us and that he cares and that he's bringing us along the way we need to be brought along. Now, here's, here's what happens. We grow up. We grow in, into manhood, womanhood. And therefore, we think that When chastisement comes, it's the devil. (laughs) It's it's the what? (laughs) All of a sudden, 
we figure we we have arrived as Christians, so therefore troubles and problems and these kind of things, that's the devil. <laughs> you need you man, you really need to to flush that that thing you're calling Christianity because it's not even close. It's not even close to a New Testament understanding of having a father raise you. Why would our father bring pain in our life? Well, because he's trying to put oil in your lamp? You ever think about that? All right. We'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to the Red Letter Edition. Faith, fact, and feeling. You put your faith in God. It is a fact that you're saved, but the feelings come afterward. Here's the problem with that. If you believe that what you have now is indeed salvation and it is relationship, you're still struggling with sin. You're still struggling with a bad attitude. You still treat people badly. You're not keeping his commandments. You have no relationship with God, but you think that you do. Here, here's a question for you. Why would you look any further? It is a fact that you're saved, but the feelings come afterward. Come afterward. Come afterward. Why would you look into a relationship that you can actually feel? It's not necessary, is it? You see, that puts you in a worse situation than every lost person on the face of the earth. There is no way that you are going to have a relationship with the Almighty God, the creator of the earth, who has forgiven you and brought you into, translated you into the kingdom of light and not know it, not feel it, not be sure of it. There is no way that is going to happen. Listening to the Red Letter Edition, I'm Don Harris, and we are talking about actually two different um, uh, parables at the at the moment. Uh, the first one that kicked all this off was the parable of the sower, and the reason that captured our interest is because Jesus said, "If you don't understand this parable, you don't understand any parable." Well, that set me off on a journey. That set me to wondering, well, what is the parable that I don't understand? And the first one that uh, came to me was the parable of the ten virgins. I thought, well, that's simple. Yeah, I get it. Five made it, five didn't. Yeah, I get it. But then I realized, oh, my goodness. You see, the problem is that all the symbology, if you will, that it was attached to the parable of the ten virgins, I accepted as fact because I didn't know what the word of God was. You see, if I'd have known what the Word of God was, I would not have so readily accepted the seminary's view on the symbology of the words in the parable of the ten virgins. If you, if you read the parable of the ten virgins and you apply the seminary understanding of the symbology of those words, here's what you walk away with. The Holy Spirit is something that you decide to carry with you. The amount of the Holy Spirit is within your power. 
Thirdly, there is an amount of the Holy Spirit. Fourthly, the Spirit of God is an expendable, usable, consumable thing in your life. The longer you live, the less you have. All these kind of things, man, come on, that's not making any sense. Yet, nobody questions this. Nobody questions this. Well, you see, when I found out what the Word of God was, and I started seeking the Lord for word from Him instead of seeking to men for what they have to say or seeing what the, what the average consensus is out there in the world, uh, you know, let's, let's just ask everybody what they think. <laughs> I'm not willing to do that. I don't believe anything they say anyway. That's one thing that happened to me when I, when I started understanding that Christians are supposed to be trained and guided by the Holy Spirit. One of the reasons why is because you can't trust anybody out there to tell you the truth. You see, they're living in a world where nobody cares about truth. You're supposedly living in a world that is based in truth. That's the difference. You know, I gave up Christmas not because it was pagan. I didn't worship my Christmas tree. I gave up Christmas because it's not true. Which uh, is inarguable. You know, you, you get out and try to talk about Christmas and Easter with people, and they say, well, we don't worship eggs. <laughs> we don't worship our Christmas tree. Well, there's no defense for that. But here's where, here's the inarguable defense for not keeping Christmas and Easter. It's not true. Why would you do something that's not true? How could you be a lover of truth and keep Christmas? <laughs> How do you do that? How do you do that? You know, if you told me that you are raising your children in truth and your, in, in, in honesty forthrightness, you know, this, I, I want, I want to, I don't want to lie to my children. Well, I have to go because I got to put a quarter under their pillow. See, they, my little Susie lost a tooth last night. <laughs> really? All right. So you love truth, huh? Amazing. Amazing how people live. Well, you know, that doesn't mean anything. Well, then don't mess with it if it doesn't mean anything. You have to deal in truth all the time. Now, <laughs> get back on the subject. <laughs> all right, here we go. Um, we've been talking about how the Word of God opened my eyes to the parable of the ten virgins. The, the oil in the lamp does not symbolize anything. It does, however, become an indicator. It represents and shows that there were five of those women who were willing to stick it out to the end, and there were five who decided that um, everything's going to be okay. I need not be prepared for, you know, every contingency. And, and so they found themselves 
waiting for a bridegroom who delayed in coming. Now, as I pointed out before, most every um, uh, parable that Jesus talks about the husbandman or the lord of the vineyard or whoever who goes away and he is to return at a certain time, most every one of those parables has in it somewhere that the Lord is delaying his coming. When Jesus tells these stories and these parables, he's, he, he adds, my Lord delays his coming, or the bridegroom tarried. And we can find, even though I think it's uh, Peter who says, you know, one of the problems with talking about Jesus coming and establishing his kingdom on the earth is that the scoffers will say, everything is as it always has been. You remember this? And nothing, you know, nothing's changed. He's not coming back. He said, they're going to say this. And he says, you need to realize that, sure, if he doesn't come back, it is because of this very thing that he, um, this is just like the days of Noah, where he tarried for those who were to be saved. And that is likely why he's tarrying now. You have to understand what the, the main purpose and goal of the Lord Jehovah is not to judge the world of sin. He's not up there playing with matches and got a couple of cans of gas sitting next to the throne saying, I can't wait to douse that earth and, and set her ablaze. <laughs> he's not... He's not intent on destruction. He's not intent on punishing the wicked. This is a, this is a, a, a basic fundamental uh, flaw in our thinking that God just can't wait to judge us all and to destroy us all because that's not the case at all. Okay, we're going to continue on the other side of this break. You're listening to the Red Letter Edition. Stay tuned for more. I think this is such a perfect example of what I'm trying to tell you, that when you let the Spirit of God teach and guide, you may find yourself going against tradition or going against convention. It's okay. It's all right. Uh, You can do that. Because, you see, convention doesn't have it right. The majority does not have it right. It doesn't even make sense. But through the honor that we've had toward these people with bars on their robe or a collar on their neck or a three-piece suit or or their own parking place or reverend in front of their name because of this false respect that we've had for men who have usurped authority over the church, because of that respect... We have relinquished to them the uh, privilege of translating the scriptures. Now, if you want your scriptures and you want the parables of Christ to make sense, you're going to have to let the Spirit of God interpret them. Now, the disciples asked Jesus, why do you insist on speaking in parables? Now, listen to this. 
Because it is given for you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but for them it is not given. Now, when he when he was sticking his little thumb up and pointing over his shoulder, saying, to them it is not given, when he was doing that, who was he pointing at? Was he pointing at the bar across the street? Was he pointing at the whores and the whoremongers? Was he pointing at the at the low life and the common man? Who was his thumb pointing at over his shoulder when he says to them it's not given? Who was that who was his thumb pointing at? It was the church leadership. Yeah, you know, the place you go <laughs> to to have them interpret the scriptures to you, to tell you things that you don't know, to expose to you the mysteries of the kingdom. Them, those guys, to them it's not given. Why would you go to people to whom it is not given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven? And ask them about the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, there's a question of Jesus. Why ask ye among yourselves of that I said? Now, does that King James throw you? Why are you asking among yourselves about something that I said? Why are you trying to figure out among yourselves what I meant when I said something. I'm standing right here, boys. Why don't you ask me? <laughs> I don't get it. Now, Jesus said, <laughs> Jesus said, I don't get this. You guys think you're going to figure out what I said to the exclusion this is what was the this was what had Jesus totally baffled okay if i'm down in capernaum and you guys are up here at the campfire sitting around talking i get it <laughs> i get it why are you discussing among yourselves of something that i said i get it i'm not here <laughs> but I'm here. I'm standing right here. Why don't you ask me? That's a really good question. And it's a really good extrapolation of truth when it comes to why do the seminaries sit around and discuss the so-called word of God? Why are they not asking Christ? Because he's not there. Why go ye about to kill me? Jesus wants to know. Why are you why are you trying to kill me? Why are you trying to make me dead? You see, dead men tell no tales. Dead men do not speak. Dead men do not teach. They do not lead. They do not guide. They're dead. And when you decide to be the leader and the guide, and the teacher, the interpreter, and the purveyor of all truth, what you're doing is 
is making Jesus dead and unable to speak. Why are you going about to kill him? I know why. Because you want his job. Are you crazy? Hey, preacher, you're nuts. If you think, look, hey, it's it, it, don't take my word for it. Get on the Internet and look at all the pitiful pastors out there that are running from seminar to seminar to try to help them deal with the pressure of being a pastor. It's so depressing. I'm having to counsel with all these people, and I'm having to give them of of the you know the knowledge of God and the and the truth and the wisdom and I'm having to lead all these sheep. Well, you idiot, you took on a job you're not qualified to do. All the time, your so-called Lord is saying, "Hey, I'm the shepherd. I'm the shepherd. All of you are sheep. I'm the leader. All of you are just followers." I am the rabbi, the teacher, all of you are brethren. Hmm, maybe you should have done it the way he said to do it. And then you wouldn't be under all that pressure. Pastors are killing themselves, folks. Pastors are taking handfuls of sleeping pills and not waking up. Because they can't take the pressure. So they have what they call leadership conferences. Oh, man, would I love to be invited to speak at a leadership conference. Oh, man, would I ever love. Can you imagine 1,500, 2,500, 3,500 pastors out there and old Don sidling up to the pulpit? I can fix their problem. I can fix it overnight. If they'll listen to me, if they'll let Jesus be the pastor, they wouldn't have all these problems. <laughs> all right. Now, if he is our if he is our comforter and he's our guide, and God's intention is to lead you and guide you into all truth, there is something that he wants to accomplish in your life. Because through the parable of the ten virgins, we find that if, if I have to take um, a, a concept or label the idea of the oil in the lamps, if I had to label it I would I, 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 with a one-word label, man, it's patience. There's no way around it. It's patience. And we have to be patient. It's all through the New Testament. Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Well, I, I don't get it. What are you talking about? Uh, who's patient? All right. Again... Understand that patience is not waiting for yourself to be served. Patience is not waiting in a queue or in a line, waiting for someone to wait on you. Patience has nothing to do with other people. A little uh, children's um, 
sing-along album that I bought for my girls when they were just babies. There's a little little song in there. Have patience, have patience. Don't be in such a hurry. You know this song? <laughs> Cause when you am patient, you only start to worry. You know that song? Anyway. And then it says, remember that God is patient too. And think of all the other times people had to wait on you. All right. It's a kid song. Yeah, okay. But you know what? It tells me that whoever wrote that song and a million other people who bought it, they don't know what patience is. Patience is endurance. It's endurance. It has nothing to do with the selfishness of, of, of uh, waiting for other people to wait on you. It has to do with endurance. Behold, we count them happy, which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job. Hmm? What did that just say? You hear that? We count them happy, which endure. You've heard of the endurance of Job. You want to see this in the scriptures? James 5.11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You've heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and full of tender mercy. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Now listen to what that says. It's describing patience to you. Job was a patient man. Why? Because he knew the end and was willing to wait for it, even while he was in affliction. Wow, that's really kind of powerful, don't you think? Let me read you something here from Mark 4. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. I want you to focus on these four words, he knoweth not how. For, because, the earth brings forth, the earth brings forth fruit of herself. First the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth forth the sickle, because the harvest is come. Now, here we hear Jesus say that the seed that is planted has within it, not you, but it has within it the desired tree that whatever it is you want to plant. Within this grain of corn is enough corn to feed my family for the rest of my life. <laughs> How can that be? Don't know. <laughs> but it works. There's been corn planted, raised, cultivated, grown, harvested, and eaten on this earth since the day it was created it has within it that potential. That's what it that's how it works. That's how it that's what it does. Now, the earth, however, 
Jesus mentions the earth here, and he says, because for, the old English word for, is very often replaceable with the word because, this, this seed grows up and springs up, nobody knows how, because the earth brings forth fruit of herself. First the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. The earth has the potential, the, if you will, the womb of the earth. The womb of the earth into which is planted a seed. The earth has the potential, the power to bring forth fruit of itself. Now, a womb without a seed is barren. That's why we say that the earth is barren when you can't grow anything. Now, let me, because there's probably not enough time to continue in my thought, maybe there is. Yeah, I'll be okay, I think. Let me say this. I want you to, just, just to show you the depth of what Jesus is saying here. Do you realize that your body will one day serve as a seed planted in the earth? Some people ask me, you know, how come you're against cremation? I'm not against cremation. <laughs> I just don't want that to happen. I don't want to burn up the seed. <laughs> I want the seed to be planted in the earth. Because the womb of the earth waits to take that seed. And one day, it's going to come up. Why? Because the earth has the ability to bring forth fruit. All we have to do is, is put that seed in the ground. Now that seed has to be dealt with. I keep telling you to die to yourself. Deny yourself. Be willing to die for what you believe and follow Christ. He said it this way, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Well, that same advice, you know, with some pants on it, says, you know, don't be so bloody precious and be willing to die for what you believe. If, you don't, if you're not willing to die for what you believe, then find something you do believe that you're willing to die for. But you can't live in this state that it's your life. You have to be willing to die. You have to die daily. Now, the Bible teaches a concept that is very, very true. Any farmer will tell you this. Anybody who's ever grown anything will tell you this. You're sitting around eating a watermelon and said, man, this is the best watermelon I've ever eaten. Okay, we're, we got to go back to the 60s before seedless watermelon, okay? <laughs> but uh, this is the best watermelon I ever eat. Y'all keep the seeds. <laughs> and so the seeds get put. I, man, I remember this. When I was a kid, I don't know, was this done in my family or my grandparents or I don't know. But I can remember all the watermelon, little bits of watermelon and little stringy seeds all kept. And then they're put onto newspaper. Why are they being put on the newspaper? To suck all the water out of them. Why do we want to suck the water out of them? Because if you take those seeds and you plant them in the ground, when they come out of that watermelon 
and they never have a chance to die, they will not sprout. They will rot in the earth. Do you know the Bible actually says this? A corn of wheat falling into the ground, except it die, abideth alone. But, and if it die, it brings forth much fruit. This is a scriptural principle. This is an agricultural fact that unless a seed should die, and how did we kill a seed? By drying it out. <laughs> That's what you do. Take all the water out of it. Put it in the sunshine. Let it dry. But if you do that, now that seed has the potential to grow. And here's what happens in Christianity. Nobody ever dies. They take their life. Here's what I, I was watching a, a movie the other day, and at the end of the movie they had a you know an invitation to Christ, repeat after me, and all this stuff. And and in in among all this garbage that they were telling people, I'm sorry, that's what it was. It kept it kept talking about. Um, adding, well, not, they didn't use the word adding, but they were talking about receiving Christ into your life. Okay, am I just messing with words here? Am I getting all upset about nothing? You don't think that matters? I'm telling you, words mean stuff. And if you think for one minute that you are going to accept Jesus and be saved and see the resurrection, you're out of your mind. I'm sorry, my friend, but you've been lied to. You don't have any more chance of seeing the seed of God grow in you and come up in you and make you into the person that you've always wanted to be, that God wants you to be, you don't have any more chance of that happening than you do taking a watermelon and reaching into it and pulling out a handful of seeds and stuffing them in a hole in your backyard and then watering them. <laughs> it's not going to happen. You will never see the new life. You will never see resurrection until you die. You have to kill your own flesh every day. This is why Paul says, I die daily. You have to put down your own flesh. I, you know, I could just, I could just stay, I could say everything I just said over again. I mean, I, I am, I am just, I am resisting that because I know this show is in rerun. You can hear it again. <laughs> but man, that concept, that principle, that basic foundational understanding of salvation is absolutely missing in modern Christianity today. You have to die. The seed has to die before it can live again. But and if it die, 
Then it brings forth much fruit. Now that's exciting. Isn't that what we're after? So stop accepting Jesus. <laughs> you don't want to put Jesus into your life. That stinks. <laughs> what we want him to do is to take us into his life. Paul says, I'm dead with Christ. Yet, nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, but Christ liveth in me. Now, does that sound to you like Jesus was taken into the life of Paul? No. No. Paul was taken into the life of Christ. That's just semantics. You're just playing with words. I don't think so. I don't think so. If you've never died and you think you're a Christian, it's probably because you have added Christ to your miserable, sorry, unregenerate life. You have arbitrarily placed Jesus into your pitiful existence on the earth, trying to make it better. I appreciate what you're trying to do. I'm sorry that you've been misinformed, but friend, you're going to have to die. Well, that's talking about the physical death. Oh, really? Really? Then what is denying yourself all about if it is not dying to oneself every day? That's the life that has to go away. We have to deny ourselves. And you can start with a cup of coffee. You can start with a second candy bar. You can start with the small things if that's what you want to do. But there will come a time when it's going to be what you want to do. It's going to be what you can get away with. It's going to be what you feel like is, you know, this could be considered the right thing to do. But you're going to have to walk away from it. And you see, why do we do this? Why do we push ourselves? Why do we deny ourselves? Why, do you, why, do, why are you insisting that it has to do with works? Because that's what salvation is all about. Faith does not mean anything without works. It never has, and it never will. How can I continue to do this? You got to have patience. You want to have patience? Here's the way you get it. The trying of your faith. It's just that easy, just that difficult. Very, very hard to, to uh, accomplish this chastising of the Lord. But he's chastising you to give you a trial of your faith so that he can fill your lamp with oil. You have to... Not only endure affliction, but welcome it. Enjoy it, because it's the Father <laughs> making you better. All right, we'll see you next time. You're listening to the Red Letter Edition.